fish on. Hey, Radcast is on. Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. From the Porter's 10Cast Studio, here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Hello and welcome to another edition of Radcast Outdoors. Today I'm here with Patrick Edwards. Say hi. Hey everybody. And uh, we want to bring your attention that we have some other episodes back there. So if you haven't gone on and checked out uh, some of the other episodes, get back there. Go uh, like, rate, share, and subscribe to all those. We do have the uh, website up and running, radcastoutdoors.com. You can get a link to all the uh, past episodes there. We have hats for sale now, and shortly we're going to be releasing some more awesome content. So get on to radcastoutdoors.com when you get a minute. We will have, like to thank our sponsors, and they will be on the website. So bear with us with this uh, COVID transition. We're, we're getting a handle on it, but it's been a little bit fun. And speaking of fun, today we're talking about our Alaska. Yes, our prep to Alaska. Just some, some thoughts about getting ready to go and what we're doing. So what what are your thoughts there, Patrick? My thought is it can't come soon enough, especially with all this COVID stuff. I'm very excited to get going and and go spend some time in Alaska. I remember when I was a little kid, I went up to Alaska with my parents and it's just been one of those places I've always wanted to go back to. Every time I go there, I just want to go there more. <laughs> so it's a so lot of fun. On that first trip when you went with your parents, were you on the road system or where were you at? Yeah. So what we did, um, my dad had a conference up there in Anchorage. We flew into Anchorage and I remember flying in and just being in total awe of the mountains. And I mean, I was a little kid and I'm from Wyoming, so I've seen mountains, but those are different. You know, they're, they're something special. So we flew, flew in and we rented a car. My dad took us on a road trip and we, we went all around the peninsula. So we went to Seward. We went to Homer. One of my favorite places was Resurrection Bay. And we went by there and there were beluga whales. I'll never forget it. It was just full of beluga whales. And we took a boat out there and there were beluga whales just so thick in the water. The water was almost white. And, uh, Got to see a lot of different wildlife, obviously, mountain goats and tons of bald eagles, more than I could count. And so as a little kid, that was a that was a cool experience. But I remember thinking as a kid, I've got to get back up here and fish. Just because, I mean, when you go to Homer and you see those huge halibut that they've caught hanging up out there that are, you know, two, three, four hundred pounds, you're just like, holy cow, that's so cool. And then seeing the huge king salmon people are catching, um, it's going to be an epic trip. It's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, and there's, Alaska has such a, a variety and flavor of fishing and places and locations. It's it's hard in one podcast to describe, okay, you know, this is what you need. This is what you're going to do, right? And just generically, you, you kind of need to narrow down, am I doing a float plane hunt or fishing trip? Am I doing a on-the-road system, you know, it, it, you, are we fishing lakes? Are we fishing rivers? Are we going to the peak of the salmon run? Are we going up there ice fishing in the winter, right? So there, you need to narrow that down before you really start making some decisions on the type of gear to take and the type of trip to, you know, build and plan around. And Alaska's not cheap, that's that's for sure. Yeah, it's not cheap. Um, you know, I think airfare is going to be decent this year just because of what's going on. But most years, it's not 
not a small line item. Uh, you're going to pay a lot for airfare. You have to factor in your licenses and all the other gear. So we'll, we'll David and I'll primarily focus on what we're going to be doing, just because, I mean, that's that's probably what most people do. Most people go up for the the run of reds or for you know some silvers maybe later in the season, uh, maybe even the kings. But we'll we'll kind of focus on what we're doing, which is. We're going about the third week in July, looking for red salmon primarily, and then of course halibut if we can get out there and pike and things like that. So that's, that's a big consideration in Alaska is the weather, right? And yes. You know what? What uh, makes national headlines and news down here in the lesser forty-eight states is uh, just Tuesday in Alaska. So you've got to make sure that you know, no matter what you're doing. I can remember my dad. When I was a young kid, he went on a couple float trips in central Alaska, right? And they did some 14-day float trips on a couple different rivers there. And I, I got to hear the stories and watch, you know, from the outside. And I always wanted to go. And I got to go relatively young as well. And we went to southeast instead of going up north. And that it was good. And when we went southeast, we rented a cabin. You know, we took a float plane in. We were in a nice dry cabin for the whole week versus if you're on a progressive float trip, you know, you got to get up every morning, stow your gear, get in the boat, not put a hole in the boat. You know, <laughs> there's some important things. And then with a cabin and bears and kids, you know, that there's some probably wise decisions, but just to focus on what we're doing, you know, we're going to do a on the road system, you know, stay in a house every night type fishing trip. Now, again, we've, I've touched on, there's some really cool, float plane, float through, never see another person fishing trip. But, you know, to, to touch on one thing that I, I see that gets neglected is, you know, no matter what you're doing when you're fishing, you're around water, and it only takes a couple ounces of water to drown, right? So life jackets and safety equipment is probably the number one thing I see guys kind of Especially they start having a few with their buddies and all of a sudden, like that Kenai River, you, you're not swimming across it. Firstly, it's glacial fed, so it's, it's cold. ice cold all the time. And it doesn't look like it's moving, but that's a swift, that's a lot of water moving. And we talked about it on that past episode where we announced we were going, but I'll never forget stepping into that river with neoprene waders and just being ice cold. I mean, that water is powerful and frigid. And those are the two ways to describe it, it is powerful and frigid. And it just amazes me that those salmon can swim up that. But yeah, you got to be careful because you could end up in a matter of seconds pulled under and drown um, in no time. And it doesn't matter whether you're in Alaska or in Wyoming in a river. You really got to be really careful, especially when wearing waders or fishing out of a drift boat or any kind of boat for that matter. The, the other piece of safety gear that, I mean, for our trip specifically, because we're going combat fishing, is eyeglasses, safety eyeglasses. I, I can't tell you how many times. And we, we talked about the uh, the mannequin. We're going to go look at all the hooks, putting the mannequin at the Soldatna ER. We'll post a picture of that up. But, you know, just you get, you foul hook a, a red and it goes screaming and that, you know, I run about a half ounce of weight, right? Mm -hmm. That thing, that fish come unhooked and it's got that monofilament stretched out like a rubber band. 
that weight's coming right back at your face. And if you don't have some sort of eye protection on, I've seen it turn personally firsthand, seen it go really bad and a guy loses an eye. So, yeah. Yeah. So safety gear for sure. So we're going to be prepared for a little bit of everything. We're going to have rain gear. We're going to have hats keep our heads dry. We're going to have eye protection. We're going to have, you know, safety belt, um, all that kind of stuff just to make sure that we're prepared because you know that another thing about glacial water when you're walking in it you can't see the bottom so you don't know if there's a hole right in front of you and you may step into that hole and (laughs) you got to be really careful and feel your way through and have the right gear on so that you don't have a, a small misstep turn into a disaster so i typically just if i'm red fishing i run hip boots and i actually like the the nice insulated neoprene hip boots, not just the cheaper rubber ones because... You don't want to freeze? Uh, my feet stay warm in those <laughs> insulated neoprene hip boots. Now, if you're going to fish at some other spots other than where we're just fishing for reds, chest waders are the only way to go. I mean, yep. you, you're walking across a, a certain spot or if you're going into new water, you can very quickly go over the top of those hip boots if you're not paying attention. And that will, uh, you'll very quickly be going to get dry and warm somewhere. Yeah, I'm going to do a little bit different. I'm going to bring the chest waders like I did the last time I was up there. The only reason I do that is that there are a few spots on those combat fishing areas that you can get to that other guys can't, and sometimes that's a that's a huge benefit. Um, I limited out a lot quicker being able to go to a couple of spots that other folks couldn't go, and the pinch point for the fish was a lot better in the river. So, um, I'm And I own them, so I'll just throw them in my bag and bring them, but... Um, what else as far as survival do you think is, is kind of important to take? I mean, I, one of the things I am definitely bringing is some kind of a first aid kit, just because who knows what's going to happen on that river. Um, I, I know even just walking, trying to get to a spot there, it's hazardous. You can't, by law, you can't get up on the bank. That's another thing people need to remember is you can't go climbing on the banks because they erode away. Erosion, and that's that's harming fish habitat. So yep. either either be on the, the, the path in the walkways or have your feet in the water. Yep. So you got to be careful because you got to walk behind people. Um, not only that, you're filleting fish. So what are you holding? You're using a knife. And even the best of us this year, I, I've filleted tons and tons of fish in my life. And I stuck myself this year, you know, this spring at Seminole Reservoir and filleted my finger open. It happens to everybody. You know, all it takes is one little one little slip or one little moment where you're thinking about something else. And next thing you know, you've got a, you know, I had a quarter inch cut in my finger and it was bleeding pretty good. So I had to go get the first aid kit and clean it up. Well, hopefully we won't be using any of uh, Buck Tilton's first aid <laughs> wilderness medi- medicine safety, but... If you need to brush up on those skills, there's an episode, and he's got a whole book out about that. Absolutely. I don't want to use his hook removal method of any kind, but if we have to, there is a couple out there. There's the good, the bad, and the ugly, and so, yeah, definitely go back and listen to episode two so you can learn about all those. So that moves me on to, for gear, you know, for specifically targeting salmon, you know, a fly rod, a bait caster, or a spinning rod, either one are fine, but you definitely don't want to go light on the action medium is a a bare minimum medium heavy and if you're going to go chase king salmon heavy yep and you know what i found interesting is we run 20 pound test on those sockeye it's a 14 
big one's a 14 pound fish average is probably eight to nine right if you put 10 pound test on you ain't landing those fish my friend it is it's not gonna happen you'll get swilled out is what'll happen and i run uh i run about 20 or 30 yards of mono at 20 pound test and then i go to a braided and the reason i run the mono is to act like a shock absorber mm-hmm. and that gives me an all good and a lot of time when we're fishing these reds you know it's we're not letting them play out and fight and run all over the river it's combat fishing you got somebody above you and below you you know, they want to catch fish too, so drag set to medium to heavy, you know, and control your fish and, you know, get them up on plane. And a lot of times if I'm in the right spot, if I have a little bit of a sandy beach behind me, I'll just, you know, plane them right out on the beach. But depending on water levels, sometimes you're standing knee deep in water, so you need to have a net. Typically in a group, you know, we'll have a one netter for a couple guys. And Yep help each other out help each other out but and the fly fly rod the same way you know and it's just because you're working that line in your hand so much if you have braided line and you've got it on your fingers and a fish runs that stuff cuts fast yep rope burn yeah the the setup i'm gonna run is a medium heavy bait casting rod and the reason for that is that i want to be able to handle anything that i come in contact with um now it's it's going to be medium heavy bait casting reel with braided line. But then again, like you said, I'm going to run the monofilament leader so that there is some kind of stretch. Cause sometimes when you get those fish that hit and they run really hard, you need a little bit of stretch anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that people forget about braided line is braided line and current likes to come up. And a lot of times where those fish are at, you want that monofilament that's just going to go kind of straight out and yep. not float up in there because if you're using that braided line it's going to come up a little too high you're going to miss fish you may not even get down to where their mouths are because you're basically flossing their mouths um so i'm definitely going to run you know that 20 to 30 pound monofilament leader and like you said about a half ounce of weight is typically depending on how many cffs the the river's running um that'll probably be about right and like david said you got to control your fish that's one of the big pet peeves is you get the guy down the river that he has a fly rod or whatever and he just lets that sucker run and then next thing you know you got 30 guys that are really ticked off because they're all tangled up. I have seen some cheap rods, the the reel seat break or the cheap reel break mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and somebody's holding on to the pole but there's not much of a reel left and you know, you're, you're ruining 20 people's fishing at that point in time. Yeah, so. I do I do want to say one other thing. If you're going to run a spinning reel, um, just keep in mind that the drag system on a spinning reel is not the same as a bait caster. They're not as tough. Um, they tend to wear out a lot faster. And if you think that these sockeyes are wimps, think again. They are extremely tough. They're strong. They have a lot of endurance. And they will put a hurt on your drag system. So that's why I'm choosing to bring a bait caster. I know the purists that use the fly fishing rod are going to kind of look down on me, but I don't really care. It's a really good setup for not only sockeye, but for kings and for northern pike, which we're trying to you know kind of get after multiple species. So I want to have a setup that can kind of do it all. So I'm going to take uh, two different fly rods, and then I have uh, an assortment of... You know, I've got probably three 
two-piece rods. My fly rods are four-piece, and those just I take those everywhere. And one's a uh, uh, you know one's a heavyweight. It's a it's a ten-weight fly rod, and the other one's a seven-weight fly rod. Sure. You know, it's a six-seven. So, and I, I like to fish that six-seven for certain things. You know, we might do some top water and do some other stuff and some trout. That's a really great rod. But if we're gonna go, if I'm gonna go flossing with you guys, it'll be that it'll be that nine-weight rod, that ten-weight rod. <laughs> so, you know, I like I do like a a bait caster personally you know i've got the uh, 4500s and it, that's a good reel it's a good amount of spool for you know if you want to do some king salmon on heavy action you can take that same rod and go do some flossing but if i take somebody new mm-hmm. to fishing all the way around you know a spinning reel is just a much we, we deal with a lot less tangles and sure but you want to get a big heavy duty spinning reel so, yeah, if the person's going to be casting all day, don't don't and they're brand new fishermen, don't give them a bait caster. You're just asking for a rough day of backlashes, cussing, and who knows what else. And that's where the I mean the benefit of actually the fly rod comes in is you know if you get the right fly rod, it it can give you the sensitivity, and you know it's pretty straightforward. It's a crank. If you can spin it, you could you know. Yep, yep. But yeah, I I agree. I have all. I I'm not a a snob but i will say one thing is if i i'm tying a hook on the end of my line it's a gamagatsu i'll give them free credit same here well there's two two hooks that are extremely sharp and durable and gamagatsu is what i used in alaska the last time i went and i love it and that's what i'm going to use this time um owner also makes a really good hook and so don't go cheap on the hooks i will tell you that right now if you go cheap on hooks you're going to have problems those fish can straighten cheap hooks, and when you're flossing and you're dragging flipping, that hook across the rock oh man, all day, it's got to be tough. I've noticed a couple times that you know when I bought some cheaper hooks, you know instead of the the six pack for whatever, I've bought a, a fifty pack a lot cheaper. Those cheaper hooks just don't have that surgical hardened tempered tip. Nope. And I'll I'll actually have hooked two or three fish, and I'll you know they'll shake their head two or three times and just come off real quick. I'll pull that hook out and try and stick it in my thumbnail, and it'll have the barb bent over backwards to where it won't stick, right? And so if you're missing fish and you can feel them, it's time to maybe take a little file or change out hooks. So another place, if you forget a piece of gear, especially if you're going to go on the peninsula, Trustworthy's Hardware in Soldatna has everything you could ever need. You could show up with a with your backpack and your suitcase and not one piece of fishing gear, get outfitted and go fishing out of Trustworthy's. And they have really great prices. And I, I'm not affiliated with them, but I've just purchased sure. a lot of gear from them over the years. Well, and that's another thing. A lot of guys pack too much gear. There's a ton of gear up there, and it's pretty reasonable. So I'm not going to pack a ton of gear. I'm going to pack some of the essential things and then just pick up some things when we're there. Um, last time I went up, I got a cheap net, you know, at at one of the stores and I picked up a few, you know, cheap essential things. But the only thing I'm really bringing that's really a big deal on the fishing side is I've got my rod and my reel, you know, that those are important to me. I, I have a setup I like, and then I've got my waders and, you know, we may ship up a few lures here, you know, for pike that I want to use, but other than that, I'm just, I'm going to support the local business up there. I'm going to buy a few things and, you know, maybe ship it back, maybe give it to somebody else. I don't know. 
The one thing I will be purchasing is a can of bear spray because I can't take mine from here. <laughs> yeah, you can't take that on the airplane, so just so you know. Well, we touched on, you know, what we'll be using for rods and reels. We'll, we'll post some pictures as far as, you know, leader lengths and weights and hook types. You know, when you're flossing, uh, yarn color doesn't matter. Uh, I'll tell you that right now. Hook, hook sharpness does. Yeah, hook sharpness and feel. Those are important. But I'm going to move on to, you know, like we talked about, we're, we're mainly focusing on the on-road system. If you're going on a fly-in hunt, you need to prep your food, your cooking stove, right? And one of the reasons that a fly-in, you know, fishing trip is not as desirable to me is I want to bring fish home. That's yeah. a big reason that I'm going is to bring smoked salmon home. Same. And if you're going, and I really do love a progressive 10, 14 day float trip where you don't see another soul. Those are great trips, but, but those are for more of just the experience side, not as much bringing the meat home. Yes. So, you know, on to fish prep, we're going to be, you know, trying to put some pounds in the freezer. You know, the, the, uh, place we've rented has a, has a freezer, right? So Airbnb is a very nice feature. You can pre pre-plan your trip, but as far as that goes, you you know, if you want to impromptu Alaska, you're going to find it. I mean, this year will be a little different, but you're going to find most of the uh, hotels have no vacancy, right? Most of the, everything's rented and reserved and like vehicle rentals. If you're not six months ahead on vehicle rentals, good luck just getting a vehicle. And, you know, it's not really feasible to hit all the fishing spots we want in a day with a taxi. That's just yeah, you know, and they don't taxis don't want fishermen and fish in their cars. So <laughs> even the car rental company, you know, they they don't want fish in theirs, and they're going to charge you a fish cleaning fee if you get fish stink in the car. Because you know, if you've ever <laughs> smelled that after a day, that's no good. So. And they and they will slime things, so you don't want to go catch a stringer of salmon and throw them in the back of a car. That's going to be a bad deal. Now, if you have a nice cooler or even one of those big styrofoam boxes that you're eventually going to ship everything home in throw them in something like that you know and do it outside the car close it up then put it in the car but do it in a way that you're not going to smell out the car and make it nasty so i'm going to take my standard backpack with a, a clean non-scented trash bag you don't want scented trash bags and on the river we're going to fillet those fish throw the carcasses right back in the river Heck put yeah. that put that back into the ecosystem and the only thing we're going to take back to the the house is fillets, and then we will uh, we'll, we'll do a quick video about you know how we process and clean those fillets up. But yeah, one thing to to keep in mind is most of you are going to go up there, and you're going to need to take it to a processor to have it vacuum sealed and have it thrown in a freezer for you, unless you get a place like David said and you have a freezer. Some of those processors will fillet, but yep. it, it would behoove you. To, to do it yourself. To, I mean, they charge quite a bit per pound to fillet a fish, right? And they're going to weigh the whole fish. Then they're going to fillet it, right? You're not paying per pound of fillet. You're paying per pound of whole fish. So, yeah. But they do have some places that do some flash freezing or some cold yep. storage. Yep. So, you know, you can go on a couple multi-day fishing trip, get your catch, get it frozen. And then there's a couple options. You know, you can, some of those places will ship for you they'll box it put it on a plane ship it and have it you know guaranteed delivered to your residence still frozen which 
you know, is a pretty nice way, but you're going to pay a premium for that service. What we're going to do is, you know, the airlines is the cheapest way. And that's why I said my backpack's going. I'm going with a little bit of gear in my backpack. But instead of taking a suitcase up and back, on, on the way up, I'll take nothing. We're going to buy some of those insulated corrugated boxes. They basically have a square ty- styrofoam cooler yep. inside a thin cardboard <laughs> box. And we'll have all our fish frozen. The last day's fish probably won't be frozen. You know, because I like to get a few fish before we get on the plane and get home. <laughs> but if you put those few unfrozen fillets kind of in the middle of all that frozen fish, you're oh, good to go. Right. And yeah. the goal is to come home with at least one box, if not two, on the plane. Yeah, another thing to think about, and you, you brought up something pretty important, is these places will take your money, gladly. So if you aren't experienced at filleting fish, make sure someone in your party is and make sure you take really good care of that person. <laughs> because I'll tell you, the last time I went, I did probably 80% of the filleting. Um, and then people on the river figured that out. They're like, hey, that guy can fillet fish. So guess what? Then people were asking me if I'd be nice enough to fillet their fish for them. When I was nice enough for about two people, and then I was like, okay, I need to go. Uh, I, I, I fillet <laughs> fish for half fillets. I'll fillet your fish, but I get 25% of yeah. it. And I want the back half, not the front half. <laughs> no, less bones, my yeah, friend. Yeah, no pin bones in the tail. So the thing, the thing to keep in mind, and what I mean to talk about here, is you, you really should know basics um, of filleting. Um, make sure that you do that and do it well. And like David said, we'll post some videos on how to do it in different techniques. But the other thing you need to keep in mind is you need to have a good fillet knife. And for those fish, they're not, they're not small. I'll just put it to you that way. It's not your Rocky Mountain trout. This is a big fish. So your small bladed fillet knife is not going to work. You need... Last, when I went last time, I used like a seven, seven and a half inch long fillet knife, and that was perfect. If you go sh- much shorter than that, it becomes a lot more difficult. And I, I've seen a guy use a, a four inch, you know, fillet knife, and he did a really great job of it, and that was his go to knife. Yeah. But he's had hundreds of thousands of fish practice, right? Yep. I, I like to get a nice Victor Knox fillet knife good really you know a lot of flex in it and i'm using like a seven and a half eight inch fillet knife yep and rapala makes a good one if you're you know if you don't want to spend a lot of money you can get one for like 20 30 bucks yep. at walmart or fred meyer up there or wherever but the nice thing about it is the blade goes the full width, width of that of fish. fish so that you're not having to cut the gut Take the guts out, then stick your little fillet knife in there and have your hand inside the cavity when you're filleting because that's what you have to do with a short blade. Now, I like to do what's called the cannery rip, and I have the dorsal fin towards me Mm -hmm. and peel both fillets off that way. Sure. And I mean, I still go up the center, right, just so that I get a nice presentation on the fillet, but... Now, and I've seen lots of, you know, there's there's lots of ways to fillet those fish, but definitely before you go, have some sort of plan of how you're going to prep, package, store, move, and transport fish. Because that's, you know, if we're talking, we're going for several days and we get several limits, we're not talking one backpack load of fish. Yep. And the other thing is make sure your boxes, if you are going to put them on the airplane, are under 50 pounds. Yes. If you're even a tiny bit over, they're going to make you open it and take some out. Or or pay an overage fee. Yep. So 
David, you can share what your your method is with that. I mean, it, it's really if you're at the airport and let's say you're at fifty point five, just take one of the packages out, throw it in your bag and your in your carry on. It'll probably make it. It'll probably be just fine. Or you can give it to some nice person as they walk through the airport. I mean, there's so what I ways. like to do, Patrick, is uh, I put a little bit of smoked fish in each. You know, I, I typically I want to come home with two boxes if I can. If I only have one, you know, I'll put some smoked fish in my backpack because it doesn't need to be cool. And then I have a snack on the plane. Yep. Sorry, everybody that doesn't like to smell smoked <laughs> fish. But if I'm a little bit You're over, that I'm that guy. That, yep, I like my smoked salmon. But I'll take a package out, throw it in my backpack, then I'm down to 49. But most of those boxes, you know, you're not going to get 59 pounds in them. You buy those boxes and, you yep. know, I... I typically run 47, 48 pounds in them. And we throw them on the bathroom scale, you know, and try to make sure. Try to make sure before we get there. But if you are over, and sometimes, you know, at 50.5, they'll let it slide. But at 50.9, they're like, nope. Yep. So you got to be kind of careful with that. Um, The other thing is make sure that when you're putting the box together and putting the lid on that everything is sealed really tight because that's what's going to keep it frozen. And labeled, you know, yep. put your name, phone number. You don't want that sitting, you know, especially if you have a layover. Oh, boy. You don't want that sitting on the tarmac. Now, the the uh, Seattle and the Portland airport are really good about, you know, if you had a layover, they actually have some cold storage. And if you have a plane issue, go talk to the agent and say, hey, is my bag in cold storage? It's got fish in it because... The airlines don't want to pay for spoiled fish anymore. They've learned that that's an expensive route. Yeah, it's it's good to get your catch home um, and have it be set up in good shape. The other thing with the fish that I think is worth mentioning is if there's a way while you're there to get a vacuum sealer and get some of those vacuum seal rolls, that's probably one of the best ways to package it. If you can't do that, you can get cellophane and butcher paper just like you would with deer and elk or whatever. But make sure it's packaged well, because you're going to spend a lot of money on this trip. One of the worst things that can happen, if especially if you're like David and I, and you look forward to that meat, is to have something happen to where you didn't package it well, it gets freezer burned, or it just doesn't survive the trip. I think a lot, I mean, price-wise, there's two or three places, but they're about a buck, a buck and a quarter pound to vacuum seal and freeze, right? And then there's so much a day to keep it after that. So, but if you need them to fillet it, they're like another buck a pound. So that yep. learn to fillet, make sure you got some sort of, you know, system for getting your fish home and, and you're not going to get it all smoked, right? That's no, you, you catch, it takes a day to brine and a day to smoke. So yep. your last two days of fish have to go home frozen. Your last day's fish, if you're like me and <laughs> making sure you get all the fish you can, yep. you know, that last day's fish isn't even really going to be frozen very hard. So you know, back to just kind of recapping, make sure your gear is tailored towards your trip. You know, it's Alaska, have a raincoat. It's going to rain at some point in time in our trip or the whole trip. Yeah. You know, have some first aid, have some precautions. Something to think about is, you know, as we go remote is, you know, either a sat phone or a locator beacon because sure. you never know what's going to happen and you're not always going to have cell service. Yeah, the other thing too, if you're going to be wearing waders and you're going to be in the water, a lot of guys coming from down here in the lower 48 forget that, you know, it's warm down here right now. Alaska is really not all that warm. And 
I took heavy socks the last time, and I'm really glad I did because it's cold. It, it'll so, range from 50 to 80 degrees. We might have some beautiful yep. days and sunny afternoons, and we might have some cold cold mornings. and You know, that that's just Alaska, and that's part of the adventure. Well, and that was like we the one day we had sunny skies. The next day we took a charter out of Seward, and it was freezing cold. And so... You just have to be prepared for a little bit of everything up there. Again, you don't have to overpack. Just pack decent gear. Uh, be ready for cool to cold temps and be ready to peel off a few layers. You know, you may you may have like a t-shirt, a long sleeve shirt, and a rain jacket, you know, as an example. Mm-hmm. And by, by the time you start, you may have all three on. And by the time you finish, you may just have the t-shirt on. Um, just and the storm might come in, you might be putting yeah. that rain jacket right back on. Exactly. So just be ready for that. Um, the other thing that we're going to definitely be doing is just being prepared that if we do go pursue pike, you know, we're going to be prepared. I'm going to have some titanium leader so that, you know, we're ready for a toothy critter. Um, again, just make sure that you have the right stuff for the fish that you're actually going to pursue. So yeah. for for sockeye, I like to run, you know, somewhere between a half ounce and a full ounce, depending on depth and river and what's going on. And I like to run a, a fairly long leader, right? 20 inches is not enough leader. And then, you know, I run a an aught hook, you know, not a double aught, but usually about an aught hook. And gamagatsu, nice piece of yarn. You have to have a piece of yarn on it for it to be have legal. To have something on it, yep. So make sure you get that, and I I like to run a good knot. I, I run the polymer knot, and then a good heavy-duty swivel, right? Yep, and we can, we'll do something on the polymer knot and just show people how tough those suckers are, because especially when you're talking about a fish that hits and hits hard, especially when it knows it's been hooked and it just puts it in four-wheel drive and goes, you better have something strong tied. Yep. Otherwise, you're going to be it broke off, and that's not fun. So as far as king salmon, you got a couple different choices, you know, whether you're bank or boat fishing, but that's a little heavier grade. You know, I step up into the 30-pound test. For some of those kings, that might be the light end of stuff. Yeah, definitely. You know, and you just got to figure out, are you plugging? Are you quick fishing? Are you throwing eggs? Are you throwing spinners? So, you know, they're typical fishing hardware. It's just a little bigger for those kings. And then moving into my favorite is the silvers. You know, like, if I'm king fishing with eggs, which I, I like to fly fish, but I also like to catch fish sometimes. <laughs> and I'll use, like, a 50-cent a daub of eggs for the kings, right? But when I moved to fishing for silvers with eggs, which eggs work, and they work very well, Patrick, I use almost a dime, you know, size of eggs, you know, under a quarter, over a dime. Sure. But make sure, you know... I actually will, if we catch a few good hens, I'll keep that row, we'll take and cure that row, and we'll have our own bait. And having, you know, bait that is fresh out of the river like that and gets cured and then we go use it a day or two later, it's really, it's great on the trout, it's great on the kings, it's great on the silvers. So, you know, and you can go buy bait from the store, there's nothing wrong with it, but, you know, once you get a fish caught on the store-bought bait, you know, don't throw that row away. One year I did try and make a red caviar, and sorry, that's just not my forte. You know, smelly fish eggs is it, that's bait, my friend. Yeah, it's bear food. As far as I'm concerned, bait and bear food. Um, 
I think the other thing too is just be cognizant of the uh, the rules, regulations, stuff that's you know. Especially on the river we're going to. I mean, every mile there's a different rule, regulation, different ownership. You know. So you really need to make sure read those regulations, and you know, there's if you're going on a guided trip, your guide should know. But you know, I would at least read through the rules and know what's going on. And yeah, yeah, and. I can't say this enough, but just, you know, be courteous to the people around you on the river. I I really enjoyed being on the river, um, helping people net their fish, and people were nice and helped me net my fish, and you can build a camaraderie, but there was a few that came in there and acted like they owned the place. Don't be that person. It just, it ruins it for everybody. Well, that half the reason I moved away from Alaska was I fought winter for nine months, <laughs> and then I fought tourists for three months. And some are, you know, there's a lot of days I'd go before work, go fish for a half hour, 45 minutes. And there was some, you know, some what we call seasonal locals that knew me and were there. But occasionally we'd get a, a visitor for a week thinking that they just owned that river. And you know what? It's it's there for everybody to use. And if you're courteous and nice, I think everybody else will be courteous and nice to you. Yep. You don't attract bees with vinegar. Um, is definitely the old saying and it, it, it makes a difference when you're fishing a river. So, um, we'll put more together. Um, when we put this podcast out, we'll definitely put some stuff in the show notes of just basic gear you need. Um, again, this isn't rocket science, but you definitely need to be prepared and make sure you have the right stuff. A trip like this one, you know, just asking some questions, planning and having some realistic expectations of, you know, where you're going to go, what you're going to do. Because, you know, I was there for several years and you're not, it would take two lifetimes to discover and enjoy everything Alaska has to offer. Yep. And I'm looking forward to going, man. That's going to be great. I'm looking forward to some smoked salmon. So keep, uh, keep post, we'll keep you posted. Check out some pictures when this posts up. We'll show a, a little bit of the gear we're taking, but you know, be safe in the meantime and pay attention to what you're doing out there. And make sure you go to radcastoutdoors.com. Check it out. We've got a lot of different episodes out there, some different materials, some recipes. You can follow us on Facebook at Radcast Outdoors Podcast. We did change that recently just so people knew it was a podcast piece. Um, so definitely go check that out and follow us on Instagram as well. And Patrick, do you know why I'm going to Alaska? For the halibut. Just for the halibut. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks.